Well, it's great to see you. Uh, as some of you know, I've been on vacation for the last uh, three weeks. It was great. Susan and I went to Alaska where I baptized my old friend Walt Pickett, who comes here a lot of times. We baptized him in a glacier river in Alaska. Then we went out to California where I baptized another uh, friend's son who was an infant, so he didn't want the glacial river. Baptized him in a, in a church in uh, San Francisco. And uh, my two grown sons uh, joined Susan and I on uh, that trip. Watch the messages from while I was gone. There's Jolene and, and Jim, I don't see Ken, but they were awesome. So I was, that was just exciting, exciting for me. But anyway, eight days ago, it was about eight, no, nine days ago, week ago Friday, I was riding in our uh, Toyota in the back seat as we were traveling down Interstate 80 on our way home from vacation. Like I said, only uh, Jonathan and Coleman were with Susan and I. The girls weren't able to, to come with us. Coleman, Coleman was driving. I was reading a book. We were about an hour out of Reno when uh, Coleman took an exit ramp. And uh, the exit ramp kind of went down off of, the, off of the freeway. And Coleman pulled into this large kind of dirt gravelly area down below the freeway. He was tired, wanted me to drive, and so we got out. I remember he jumped in back. I went around to jump in front when all of a sudden I had this thought. I remember thinking to myself, hey, you know, I really drank a lot of Diet Coke back at the KFC in, in Reno. No, I, I'm a guy, and, and that means that God has gifted me with special abilities to take care of these issues in a quick and efficient manner that I know many of you women, frankly, are just jealous of. <laughs> it's the desert. Uh, the, the highway, you know, is kind of up above. It's just my two grown sons and my wife in the car, so I think, well, I'll just kind of go here behind the car, we'll get it done with, and then we'll get on our way. So as I'm proceeding, I remember I'm standing there, and I, and I kind of I glance like this over my shoulder, and I think, wow, I kind of miscalculated, because, you know, if a car came down that exit ramp, they could, well, they could at least kind of see what I'm, what I'm doing. I, I better hurry, but I'm 50 now, and so... Things don't happen as quickly as, as they used to. So, so I, and then I remember I kind of glanced back over my shoulder again and there was this like black SUV coming down uh, the exit ramp. So I'm trying to quicken things up. I glance back again and, and all of a sudden you hear this. And these lights come on, flashing lights up above in the windshield. It's the Nevada Highway Patrol. And this guy zooms over right next to the Camry. He, he, the window comes down. Now remember, uh, the windows are down in the in the Toyota as well. So my wife and my sons are hearing all of this. There's this young Nevada Highway Patrolman sitting in the driver's seat. He looks like he's maybe 25 or so, just got out of the Marines or something. He, he looks at me and, and he just yells. He says, you're disgusting. Could you not see that there was a sign right up there pointing to a gas station just on the other side of the freeway? And I said, I, I'm sorry. I was reading a book. My son exited or something like that. I, I'm sorry. And he said, 
You sickened me. And then he just like went off on me. He said, don't you realize a family could have, family could have been coming down that exit ramp with little kids or something. I mean, anybody could have, a busload of nuns didn't say that, but I thought of that. He said, they could have come down that, they could have, and anybody, well, I mean, I thought, oh my gosh, I'm going to get arrested, put on the sex offender list or something, you know, because <laughs> stuff like that happens. And then you go, where's our pastor? He's in jail in Nevada or whatever. So anyway, he just goes off on me for a long time. And, and finally he says, you you sick of me. No, just get in your car and get out of here. So I <laughs> walk back over to the car, get in. The boys didn't say a word. <laughs> but my wife did. <laughs> Turns out that she agreed, basically, with a, with a highway patrolman. And I, I felt shame. Now I want you to know that all the way back to Colorado, I used proper restroom facilities. <laughs> I, I was obedient on the outside, but not on the inside. In fact, as I drove back onto Interstate 80 going up that ramp, I, I remember I, I just began to, well I began to judge. I began to judge that young police officer stupid, arrogant, legalistic, judgmental. I, I judged him as judgmental, judge, judgmental. I bet Jesus urinated outdoors. <laughs> In fact, I'm, I'm almost sure of it. And, and I began to fantasize. I began to fantasize about marking my territory. I began to fantasize about tinkling around the entire state of Nevada, forming a, a barrier between it and the rest of the country, claiming it as, as my own, my territory. I would, I'd win this pissing contest. <laughs> well, you see, I, I felt judged. And so what did I do? I judged the judge and his judgments with more judgments. And in all honesty, I think that's why most people go to church to judge themselves, judge others, and so defend themselves against the judge and the last judgment. <laughs> Pastor, preach! Give me some of that knowledge of good and evil so I can judge. Is it good or evil to urinate on exit ramps? You know, if it's like 20 feet below the highway and, 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 and only your grown sons and your wife is, is in the car and, and you had a whole lot of Diet Coke at the KFC in Reno and, and you really need to get on your way. Is that, is that good or evil? Now, that's a, a silly example, but it's a good example. I mean, instead of outdoor tinkling, just plug in topics like reproductive rights or sanctity of human life or the position of government as it relates to our morality or issues regarding sexuality, marriage and divorce and suddenly nobody's laughing anymore. People really come to church because they, they want the pastor to, to judge them, judge others and, and give them the tools for judgment, you know, the knowledge of good and evil, the law. Most people think that's what evangelical Christians are, you know, kind of like God's highway patrolman along the narrow road of life. 
keeping everybody in line. Shame on you, shame on you, shame on you. Because religious folks, they think that, because, well, because religious folks, I mean, think about religious folks. They, they really love to judge, don't they? Don't they? Is that your judgment? <laughs> well, all that is kind of ironic, isn't it? Especially since Jesus said, judge not lest you not be judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, Matthew 7. But check this out, Jesus also said this, judge, imperative tense, it's command. Judge with just judgment, John 7. And yet Jesus also said this, the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, John 5. And then Jesus said, and I judge no one, John, John 8. And yet scripture makes it clear that Jesus is the judgment, like we read in Acts 17 a few weeks ago, Paul says it to the Athenians, remember this? God has fixed a day in which to judge the world in righteousness in a man. A day, a day. Well, so believers want to obviously know, well, when is it? What is it? And who gets in? As you know, in, in recent years, I've quoted a lot of verses that indicate or just flat out say, uh, Christ will make all things new. And I've found that those, those verses, they, they really stress folks out. And, and I think uh, usually they, they, they say, they'll say something like this. They'll say, well, well what about the judgment? I've listened to that, thought about that for a long time, and I think maybe what they're really saying is, what about my judgment? How am I supposed to mark my territory? How am I supposed to know who's in and who's out, who's first and who's last, who's greatest and who's least? What about judgment? Well, believe me, there will be, there is a judgment, a final judgment. In Matthew 25, Jesus spells it out. In Matthew 24, if, if you're familiar with the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus starts a, a dialogue. After he leaves the temple prophesying its destruction, He's sitting on the Mount of Olives with his disciples across from the Temple Mount. I've, I've been there. And you look down on the, the Temple Mount, which is also Mount Moriah, Mount Zion, and Mount Calvary is there. As he sits there, his disciples ask, one, when will the temple be destroyed, Jesus? Two, what will be the sign of your coming? And three, the centelios, the end, the full perfection of, of, of the age. In Matthew 25, 31, Jesus tells them of the end of the age. He also tells them that he'll be coming in some pretty weird and amazing ways, inhabiting some pretty strange sort of temples. But this is Jesus' last public sermon in the Gospel of Matthew before he's crucified. Matthew 25, verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. That certainly sounds like the end of the age. Age is the Greek word ion, uh, often translated ever. So they're saying, tell us about the end, the end of forever. The end of time as we know it. Tell us about the edge of eternity. Now, ion is uh, a noun, age, it's the noun age, and ionios is the adjective based on that 
noun, meaning ageness, or of the age, or another age. We have a hard time in English translating that word. In scripture, it seems to refer to God's age, like God's time beyond our time, or the fullness of time, or perhaps timeless time. It's often translated eternity. They ask, tell us about the end of time and the edge of eternity. Matthew 5, 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the ethnos, all the nations, all the peoples, and he will separate them. Peoples supplied by the translator in the ESV. Them is all people, all the nations, all. And that's fascinating because you know some people make this whole thing really complicated because they postulate that there are a bunch of different judgments for different people. But right here Jesus says all, all. All the nations, the peoples gathered before him. In John 12, remember, Jesus said, now, now is the judgment of this world. The judgment, that's, that's one judgment. He said the judgment, not one of the judgment, one, the judgment. And so the, I think the, the great white throne judgment, remember that in Revelation with the, with the books are open and all that stuff. The judgment of the sheep, and the goats, whatever that was going on on the cross, when Jesus cried out from the cross, it is finished, well all those judgments are one judgment, it's all one judgment, like one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of us all, one judgment on all people at the boundary of time and eternity. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Remember you used to always read that and think, how does the shepherd separate the sheep from the goats? And then we went to the Holy Land a few years ago and, and I saw it everywhere. It was really amazing. Do you know how a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats? He just like walks and talks. You can see it everywhere, all over the hills in Palestine, these, these young Arab uh, shepherds, they, they or Pal- Jewish or whatever they were, they'd have sticks and they'd just walk along and they'd like drive the goats in front of them. Behind them would just follow a flock of sheep. <laughs> see, the goats were driven by the shepherd and the sheep just followed his voice. Now that's interesting to think about because there was one shepherd and the goats experienced him as pain and fear. And the sheep experience the same shepherd as this attractive voice. Before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom. Inherit. You see, you can't earn the kingdom. You can only inherit the kingdom if you're a sheep. (laughs) And goats can't turn themselves into sheep, can they? 
Come you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation, the foundation of the world. For I was, for you, I mean, he knew who they were. For, for I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, um, dang, we, we kind of don't remember that. When did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and, and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. Least of these my brothers. Isn't that, isn't that amazing? The king himself was served in temples of hungry, thirsty, naked, weak, flesh, the last and the least of, of these. Temples, like they were temples. He came to them in, in that form and they served him in that form even though they didn't know it was him. Perhaps they didn't even know his name. And yet they heard him calling from these temples of broken flesh. Now, I'm not a sheep psychologist, okay? Let's just get that clear. But uh, I don't think that sheep normally know the name of their shepherd, you know, like Bill, Ted, Bob, or Fred, whatever, whatever it is. However, every sheep knows their shepherd's voice, and they follow, and he saves them. I mean, maybe these sheep are saved by the shepherd before they even learn his name. You know, when Jesus told this story, there was no one in the world that went by the name of Christian. There were no Christians at, at this point. Well, the great shepherd says, inherit the kingdom. As you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Next verse. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. It's fascinating that all the, the good things are positive things. The evil is a, is a negative thing, an absence of a thing. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister, did not serve, did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, truly, I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. And that's the end of chapter 25. Seems clear enough, seems simple enough. We all like to judge. So let's judge. And we've got it right here, right? We've got the, the knowledge to do it right here. Let's just nail this thing down right here, right now, th th this morning. Under your seat, you'll find um, one of these, okay? Now reach down under there and pull it out along with a pencil, a golf pencil, this is called the handy dandy final judgment scorecard, all right? 
Now, this is what I, I, I want you to do. For the moment, I just want you to pay attention to method A. That's the, the method that Jesus reveals here at the end of Matthew 25. And I want you to ask yourself these most pertinent of all questions. Uh, for instance, have I given a hungry person food, okay? Now, if you have given a hungry person food, then I want you to check right next to that line. Okay, then on the, on the other side, uh, ask yourself, have I neglected to give a hungry person food? Okay, if that's true, you check that line, all right? Check the lines that are true for you. If, 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 any, if any lines are checked on the left, you are a sheep, okay? And if any lines are checked on the right, you are a goat. Now, go ahead, fill out your scorecard, do it right now, do it, go! Fill them out. Okay, let's have that screen up there, directions. Sheep to my right, goats to my left, okay? If you're a sheep, right now, go to my right and goats go to my left. I separate you, I sever you, I judge you. Sheep to my right, goats to my left, go! This isn't working. What, what's the deal? Oh, sitting down right in the middle. See, that's the problem, right? Right, right in the middle. Because what is the problem? I, I'm exactly like you. I mean, when I fill out my card, I mean, I, to be honest, I think I checked everyone on the left and everyone on the right. Problem is that I appear to be a sheep and a goat. And, and I can't seem to detach my sheep self from my goat self. So I can't go to that side because, well, because my goat self is attached to my sheep self, sheep self, and I can't go to that side because my sheep self is attached to my, to my, to my goat self. Uh, for this to work, I mean, I'd have to be like, well, I'd have to be like cut in two. I'd have to be severed. I'd have to be severed, and, and that's what it says in verse 23, the king will sever, will separate. The word means to sever, and check this out. That's what judgment means. In Greek, there's a word for that, krisis. It's where we get our word crisis. Uh, you know, the word of God is living and active, piercing to the separation, piercing to the, to the division. Now, do, do you ever feel cut, judged, or separated by the word? We just read the word, and it like, cut us. The, the word is a crisis. You know what I mean? You're reading scripture and it says something like this. He who loves is born of God and knows God. And you think, cool, I, I love the Broncos, you know, I love, kind of love my, I'm saved, hallelujah, awesome, awesome. Then you keep reading, and he who does not love does not know God. Crap, I'm damned. 
I mean, it's like the word of God cuts me in, in, in two. It's like there are two people in me, an old man and a new man, a fleshly man and a spiritual man, wheat and chaff, vessel of wrath and vessel of mercy, a goat and a sheep, and, and that's a crisis. You, you know, twice already in the Gospel of, of Matthew, Jesus has said this, if your eye, hand, whatever, if, you, if your hand causes you to sin, it's better to cut it off than to be thrown in the fire with it. And, and I, I really believe the word of God. And, and this, is, this is the hand that, that controls the remote <laughs> and opens the third beer, the, the fourth beer. I mean, according to, according to scripture, I, I need to cut it off, and I take scripture seriously, so I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna cut it off. I'm gonna cut my, I'm gonna cut my hand off in obedience to scripture. Sever it right now. You know, um, I move my hand at the last second because actually I thought of something Jesus said. <laughs> he also said this. He said, it is from the heart that flows all manner of wickedness. It's what comes out of the heart that defiles a man. Out of the heart flows all manner of wickedness. So actually, it's not my hand. Jesus said, if your hand, it's not my hand that causes me to sin. It's my heart. I can't cut out my own heart. I need heart surgery, I need a heart transplant. I mean, I neglected to feed the hungry, I neglected to clothe the naked because Peter Hyatt has a bad heart, like a stone heart. And sure, I, I mean, I got a, a little new heart in there, but, but if, I, if I try to cut my old self from, from my new self, what do I do? I murder myself. That's suicide, that's even more self, more sin. I mean, if I try to judge the tares, I kill the wheat. So the king on the throne reveals that I'm a sheep and a goat, a sheep goat. And that's a crisis come judgment day. So, so what am I to do? What are we to do? Usually we try auxiliary method B. You'll see that's a little lower on your final judgment scorecard. I, I included it for, for times when method A is inconclusive. This is actually what most people do because they, they realize if it's pass fail, I'm toast, so they try auxiliary method B. Calculate the number of times you've done each good deed designated by D. Calculate the number of times you've neglected to do each good deed designated by D prime. D divided by D plus D prime is your universal righteousness percentage, your URP. Now, that's very valuable because you can compare your URP to another person's URP because maybe, maybe, just maybe, God will decide to like grade on a curve. So you could have a .647 and, and you can compare yourself to, he graduated from seminary, good Lord. You could have a, he could have something worse than you. I mean, wouldn't that be something? But anyway, with method B, you see, you can judge yourself uh, better and someone else worse. You can judge yourself first and someone else last. You can judge yourself greater by judging judging another lesser or least. <laughs> but hey, wait a minute, think about that for, for a minute. 
if you judge them least, don't you judge the king on the throne least? Because the king on the throne just said, truly as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Truly I say to you, as you did it not to one of the least of these, you did it not to me. And then he also said this, the first will be last and the last will be first. That makes auxiliary method B competition a little bit suspect, don't you think? And remember, the king is talking to all the peoples. These. So if you judge the least of these least, don't you judge Jesus least? If you abandon the least of these to hell, don't you abandon Jesus to hell? Why did Jesus descend into hell? I mean, maybe we judged ourselves and judged everyone around us, judged us, judged everything into outer darkness, and Jesus chose to come with us. Whatever the case, if you judge the least of these least, I think you judge Jesus least. And if you judge Jesus least, why would you ever want to enter his kingdom? I mean, his heaven might feel like hell to you, right? It it would burn you. Anne Lamott tells this great story about uh, a drunk sitting in a bar in, in Alaska somewhere. He's talking to the bartender about how he'd lost whatever faith he had when his twin engine Cessna went down in a crash over the tundra somewhere up there in northern Alaska. He said to the bartender, yeah, I lay there in the wreckage hour after hour, nearly frozen to death, and I... I cried out to God that he'd help me. I cried out to God to save me. I prayed, help me, help me. But he didn't raise a finger to help me. So I'm done. I'm done with the whole charade. Bartender kind of squinted at him a minute and he said, but um, you're here. I mean, you were saved, right? And the old guy said, well, yeah, sure, of course, just because some goddamned Eskimo came along. What if the one on the throne is a goddamned Eskimo? Or Spick? Or Honky? Or Kike? Or Samaritan? Or Jew? or whoever you judged last and least. What if? Would you even want into his kingdom? Or would you run in terror, calling to the mountains and the rocks like they do in Revelation 6? Fall on us, hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne. I love this uh, cartoon. It's uh, Colonel Sanders at the pearly gates (laughs) See that? He's greeted by a chicken. And the thought bubble is, uh uh-oh. I mean, what if the one on the throne is a lamb that you recognize because he's been slaughtered and you realize that you are responsible for his wounds? (laughs) That, my friends, is a crisis. 
And at that point, what, what will you do? Will you run from him? Hide yourself in outer darkness? Hide yourself in nowhere and nothingness? Nothingness, nowhereness. Because you see, this really is a crisis. Jesus really is everywhere. We're doing this series and he's like, he's like everywhere. He stands on the throne at the end of time and he encounters you in time, throughout time, in temples of flesh. Uh, the judgment is now and yet it's revealed in, in the end when he cries from the throne it is finished a crisis Jesus is everywhere and Jesus is the judgment and please note please note on your handy dandy scorecard it says please note at the bottom if you were aware of doing any good deeds for Jesus or for religious reasons, that is to score points on the handy-dandy final judgment scorecard, um, the scorecard is rendered null and void. <laughs> Dang, both, you see, both sheep and goats say, when did we see you, Lord? So neither, neither of them knew that it was him. They didn't know. You see, no one is saved by their knowledge of good and evil, the law. Knowledge of the good can't make you good, only reveal that you're not good. Or at least knowledge of the law can't make you righteous, only reveal that you're unrighteous. So you can't just hear this story and based on this knowledge, go out and decide to be good and then be good. What you'll end up doing is just using the good to get the good, which is not good, but in fact the very definition of evil. You see, no one in this story loves in order to get eternal life. And no one in this story loves in order to avoid eternal fire. <laughs> All of May, we, we preached about the eternal fire, the Ionios, Ionios fire. And you remember, the word of God is fire. And the word of God is life. God is fire and God is life and God is one. And check this out. I, I think sheep and goats were both sacrificed in the same holy perpetual fire. Maybe goats experienced that fire as pain and fear. You know, kind of like Sodom experienced the fire. Maybe sheep experienced that fire as life and joy. You know, kind of like the disciples experienced that fire on Pentecost when they were baptized in fire and their temples were filled with fire. Whatever the case, no one in the story loves in order to earn the kingdom. No one in the story loves out of fear for the fire. No one in the story loves because they made a choice based on their knowledge of good and evil. In other words, love is not their judgment. No one in the story loves for a reason. Love is the reason. Love was just like, I guess, their nature, like they were sheep by nature. But what man, what man was entirely, what man ever was entirely all love and never not love? 
I mean, surely that is a road way, way, way too narrow for, for me or you. What man never neglected to feed the hungry, clothe the naked, visit the sick and the imprisoned? What man was pure and spotless according to method A and never judged according to auxiliary method B? I mean, never rejoice at wrong or never judge himself first by judging someone else last. And what man ever did all of that unselfconsciously? I mean, didn't love because of some scorecard or some religion, but just love because it was his nature, his joy to do the Father's will. What man? Well, only one. And he's the one telling the story. So why is he telling the story? Why is he telling us this stuff? I can't cut out the goat without dying. And I can't grow the sheep by simply trying. It's the knowledge of good and evil. It's like, you want the knowledge of good and evil? Here it is. It's the knowledge of good and evil. And it's the knowledge of sheep and goats. But, but what's the point? What's the reason? What's the logos? I mean, we're left standing there, cut in two, crying out, God help, God save, in a word, Yeshua. In English, Jesus. And now do you see him? Can you see him now? The logos, the point, the reason, the one standing on the throne. Do you see him or, or do you still hide? Do, do you hear him in, in faith or have you stopped reading the word in fear? Ray Sedman is an old family friend of ours. I remember uh, he was a pastor in, out in California and he used to always say something like, you know, I'm convinced that scripture is inspired by God, but I'm pretty sure the chapter divisions were inspired by the devil. <laughs> Don't know if that's true, but I do know that the chapter divisions were not put in the Gospel of Matthew till 1560. That's 1,500 years after the Gospel of Matthew was written down. So, so Jesus didn't end his last sermon with the last verse of Matthew 25, but the second verse of Matthew chapter 26. So listen, and these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal fire. Next line. When Jesus had finished all these sayings, he said to his disciples, you know that after two days the Passover is coming and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. Passover. Exodus 12, God says to the Israelites, your lamb, say is, is the Hebrew word in this spot, your, your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old, you may take it from the sheep or the goats. He tells them then to place the blood of that lamb over the door and then eat the lamb in haste. It's the Lord's 
Passover, when the sentence of death passed over the Israelites because of the blood of that lamb, that say, that word can mean sheep or goats, and Jesus is our Passover. I mean, I, I think that's significant. And remember, Jesus is sitting on the Mount of Olives, staring at Mount Moriah, and the Temple Mount, and Mount Calvary. I mean, since Abraham, gosh, maybe even since Adam and Eve, because some of those Orthodox Jews, they thought the Garden of Eden was on that mountain, and, and you remember that God sacrificed an animal in, over, in order to clothe Adam and Eve, I, but maybe, but at least since Abraham, God's people have been told to sacrifice lambs, say, in that very spot. On that spot, in an absolute crisis, Abraham said to Isaac, God will provide a lamb, a say, meaning sheep or goat. When Israel was in absolute crisis, God told them to sacrifice the Passover lamb, goat, or, or sheep. And on that spot, the spot they're looking at, the Temple Mount, for a thousand years, God had Israel, commanded Israel, and they did it, sacrificed millions and millions of, of lambs, sheep and goats. When Isaiah prophesied that the Messiah, like a lamb, would be led to the slaughter, the word lamb say means goat or sheep. And on that spot, Mount Moriah, Mount Zion, Mount Calvary, Jesus, our Passover lamb, would be sacrificed in three days, that, that Passover, our Passover. That's got to be significant. You know, sheep and goat both belong to the shepherd. I mean, he didn't say sheep and wolves, right? He said sheep and goat. And both were sacrificed in, at the temple. Sometimes part of the sin offering was exposed or dis, done away with other places, but both were sacrificed at, at the temple, and yet often they were sacrificed for a different purpose. Now, neither I nor anyone else, including even Hebrew professors at the uh, University of Denver, understand all of this, okay? Because it's, some of it is lost to us and it's incredibly complicated. And God says we can't fully understand all the details of his judgments. We don't understand all of this. But sometimes a sacrifice was said to bear sin. And it was called a sin offering. But even more, a sacrifice was like a pleasant gift and it was called an ola, a burnt offering, a fragrant aroma in the nostrils of the Lord. It was even called God's food. You know when my wife re re prepares roast lamb, uh, it smells so good and I don't say, get that out of my sight for it bears sin. I say, oh, thank you for the lamb. This is awesome. It's a pleasant, wonderful gift. It's a gift. Numbers 28, 29, Moses reviews all the sacrifices. Every day, um, Israel was to offer two lambs from the sheep. And it specifies here that there would be sheep lambs as burnt offerings. On the seventh day, that number doubles. Then every feast day, they're to offer like seven uh, sheep lambs or a multiple of seven. Seven, you know, is the number of the finished creation, the Sintelios creation. Over and over, Moses says this, seven sheep as a burnt offering and one goat as a sin offering to atone for sin. Now the sheep were a good gift given to God. And the goats were a means of taking away sin, the sin offering. You know, every day on the Day of Atonement, uh, the high priest would take two goats for a sin offering. One would bear sin into the fire, and one would bear sin into the wilderness, the outer darkness. It was called the scapegoat. Now, I don't know exactly what all of those sacrifices meant or mean, but I do know that Jesus fully fulfilled them all. All. Once and for all. And I know that Jesus takes away our sin as the sin offering, the goat. 
He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all, writes Isaiah hundreds of years before anyone saw it happen. Jesus is the sin offering, the goat. And Jesus is the burnt offering, the spotless lamb. Through him, the many are made righteous, writes Isaiah. Every good deed in you, did you know this? Every good, every good and perfect gift comes from the Father. Every good deed in you is his spirit at work in you. It's the lamb at work in you. It's the lamb in you. And so when you feel all, all judged and you're tempted to judge, don't, don't run from the throne. Look to the throne. Judgment is finished. In Revelation 4 and 5, John sees the throne. In, in 5, 6, he writes this. In the midst of the throne, he sees a lamb standing as if it had been slain. Its seven eyes are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And John hears every creature, every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is within them, all creation crying out in praise to the lamb, worthy is the lamb, with your blood you purchased men for God. So, so, so what I'm saying is stop looking at yourself. Stop judging yourself and look to the throne. You see, you're not saved by your judgment. You are saved by God's judgment. Jesus Christ and him crucified. God's judgment is grace. Like Jim said last week, absolute grace. And so look, look, look to the throne. Jesus ascends to the throne by means of his cross. Jesus is our Passover lamb, nailed to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the tree of law. There our Lord sacrifices himself for all to see. Hungry, thirsty, a stranger to this world, naked, sick with our sin, imprisoned in our hell. Would you meet him there? Would you see him there? There in, in a tortured temple of broken flesh. There he bears the sin of the world. And he pours out his spirit on all flesh, Joel 2.8. There, number one, he is the sin offering, the scapegoat, your goat. And there, number two, he is the spotless lamb, the sheep, your sheep. There on the cross, one, he takes away our sin, and two, he gives us his righteousness. His righteousness descends into the hungry, the thirsty, the stranger, the naked, those sick in sin, those imprisoned in darkness. And you know what? Every good deed in you is him in you. It's not your judgment. It's God's judgment. Just judgment. Jesus. Something happened to me several years ago. I've told some of you about it, and I'm going to say it again because it really just rocked my world. <laughs> and and it's, it's hard for me to even describe to you how real this was. And maybe I'm not at privilege to entirely describe to you how real it was, but I knew that it was Jesus. I think Susan was there with me and we had uh, prayed in a friend. We had been praying for this friend as Jesus walked her through old memories of, of abuse. And now in this vision, he stood in front of her. It, it had been so horrible, the memory so horrible that I really just did not know what to do. I, I did not know what would be good, what would be bad. 
I, I didn't know, but, but I watched, and, and, I, and I found myself just wanting to hold her, and so I, I did hold her. I held her in my arms as she wept and she cried, and, and I remember uh, she was crying to Jesus. She wanted him to do something, and in the vision, he was standing in front of her, and she cried, I want you to hold me. Jesus, please, 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 just hold me, please just hold me, and he would just stand there crying. Finally, I remember she stopped and she turned to me and she said, Peter, why won't Jesus hold me? And I did not know. I didn't know. But one thing I had learned is always look to the throne. And so I said, well, why, why don't you just ask him? Why don't you ask him? And so she did. I remember she just cried out. She cried out, Jesus, why won't you hold me? And then she got really still. I knew that Jesus was talking to her because that's what would happen when she'd get just like really still. And after a while, I, I remember I said to her, what did he say, what did he say, what did he say? And she said, I just heard him say, I am. I am holding you. And it was my arm around her. And suddenly it hit me. I'm actually his body. It's not my body, it's his body. Or my body is his body, and, and it wasn't really my judgment. It was his judgment in me. You see, real love in me is God in me. God is love. <laughs> He's love. Jesus was in me. And it was Jesus in her calling forth the Jesus in me. You see, Jesus really is everywhere. He's everywhere. And once I look to the throne and I no longer fear his judgment, well, gosh, I like forever worship his judgment. And he's no longer everywhere as condemnation, but everywhere as salvation and communion. He's at the end of time. He fills all of time. He even fills me. <laughs> And that's like the greatest wonder of them all in my book. So on the Passover, or as the Passover, the Lamb of God took the bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body given to you, take and eat. You remember this cafeteria in, in elementary school? It said, you are what you eat, right? And Jesus said, take and eat. And in the same manner, after supper, he, he took the cup, and having given thanks, he said, this cup is the new covenant, the covenant, it says, I think, in Matthew, eternal covenant in my blood, poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it, all of you, and do it in remembrance of me. So at this table, at this throne, we confess our sin and receive Christ's righteousness. We give up our goat and receive the Passover lamb. We surrender our judgment and receive God's judgment. And so as you approach the throne of grace today, I want you to make an offering. And, and I, these aren't our regular offering baskets, but we could put those up here as well. I want you to come down front and take your... And these are the handy-dandy final judgment scorecards from last night at our service. I want you to take yours and I want you to place them in the basket. I want you to surrender your judgment and then I want you to receive God's judgment. 
tear off a piece of bread, dip it in the cup. You know, maybe if we, if we really looked, I mean, maybe if we really believed God's judgment of grace, we'd stop judging ourselves. We kind of just forget about ourselves. We'd stop judging ourselves. And, and maybe we'd stop uh, feeling so judged by others. Like highway patrolmen in Nevada, for instance. We'd stop feeling so judged by others. And then stop judging others and marking our, our territory. I mean, maybe we'd love, not because we had to, but just because we wanted to. Because love was our nature. And we had been made in the very image of God. And so do you see? You cannot make yourself good with your judgments. You are made good with God's judgment when you look to the throne. In other words, stop judging and start worshiping. In Jesus' name, believe the gospel. Amen. Now, children of God, pay attention. You just made an offering. Does it, does it not make sense that this is the offering that our Father desired from the foundation of the world? Our Father, that we would surrender our judgments to His judgment. And His judgment is love. Is that what a father wants? These kids would know that he really loves them. He doesn't even know why. It's just the way it is. And now check this out too. It's not that our attempts at judgment have no purpose. They do have a purpose. They reveal his judgment. It's grace. So look to the throne and worship. And so, do you see him? Do you see him on his throne at the end of the age when it is finished? <laughs> what do you see, children of God? Is he good? Yes! Yes, he is good, isn't he? And you see, this thing really has come full circle because what was it that we wanted in the garden? We wanted to know the good. And he is the good that knows us. And when we see him, he transforms us. And we begin to love in freedom as he has loved us in his perfect freedom. And we're finished. In Jesus' name, even in this world of space and time, 
Believe the gospel by faith. You see, that's the offering that he wants, faith. That's what it's called when you surrender your judgment to his judgment. And what is the Father's judgment? Oh, I love you. His judgment is grace. In Jesus' name, believe the gospel. Amen.